morning, church. Good morning on this very super cold, lame weather weekend. Uh, hope you're uh, together with your house church or just warm. Hopefully you're just warm. Um, hey, I want to do a quick update for our church. We are coming closer and closer to the day when we can gather together. And we, uh, the staff took a walkthrough through the Arvada Center. The Arvada Center is doing a ton of stuff to make it uh, safe. Actually, they're looking to be five-star certified with Jefferson County to do events. And uh, we had a killer walkthrough with them the other day. I can tell you for certain, church, that we will be together on Easter Sunday. So whether that is indoors at two services at the Arvada Center or weather permitting outdoors in their amphitheater, we are going to be together on Easter. Now there's a chance that, that there may be another gathering or two before that, but we are waiting on the numbers and talking with the Arvada Center as far as the different levels of Jefferson County. And uh, we just can't wait to be together again. In the meantime, hang in there, uh, hunker down, stay warm, be with your house church, jump in on the Zoom call. Um, if you want to be a part of a house church and maybe you're kind of feeling like it's time to step back into that, shoot us an email. In fact, you shoot Mandy an email um, and we'll put that number here on the screen so that you can get involved in a house church. We want to make that happen for you. Let me pray as we get started. Father, this morning we gather um, and we thank you that we are not alone. You did not leave us alone. That as followers of Jesus, you've given us your spirit to indwell us and to empower us. And Father, in this moment, we feel so grateful for that, knowing that some of the things we face in life seem impossible without the indwelling of your spirit. God, may this be a community that chases down what your spirit is doing, that, that listens and responds to the, to the ways that the spirit talks to us to encourage each other, to challenge each other, to forgive each other. May we be that kind of a community. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, church, we've been taking some time to talk about what it looks like to follow Jesus with our whole selves, with our whole lives. And that we are really uh, creatures, <laughs> created beings that are physical, spiritual, intellectual, okay? And we're emotional as well. And, and what does it look like to follow Jesus even with our emotions? And one of the tricky things is, is I think it's really easy to learn a lot about God, learn a lot about Jesus, and learn what we should and shouldn't do in following Jesus, but we have a really difficult time managing our emotions and figuring out um, our automatic and default responses when it comes to things. In fact, we've been looking at this quote by a guy named Pete Scazzaro, and he says, it is not possible for a, a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And so I just want to let you know a couple things where we're going. We're finishing a conversation on forgiveness today. And by no means are we uh, concluding and wrapping up and, and like we've got this whole forgiveness thing figured out. Um, forgiveness is an ongoing practice like we'll talk about. 
But the idea is, is that to be forgiving people actually takes us paying attention to our emotions and paying attention to our automatic default responses, okay? I just want to share with you a little bit about where we're going. Next week, we're going to be talking about what kind of a community we want to be um, and how Jesus coming to uh, earth in human form actually models what it looks like for you and me to be in this world. And then the final Sunday, we're going to actually talk about the communion table. And I know we haven't taken communion in a bit, and um, apologies for that. Um, some of that has to do with setup and recording and things like that. But uh, really, two weeks from today, we are going to be taking a major amount of time in house church to be around the table. And we'll lead you that way through the video. But I just want to share with you, we're going to be jumping back into the Gospel of Mark also in March. So I just want to let you know that. But last week... With forgiveness, we talked a lot about what forgiveness isn't, and that it's not forgetting, and that it's not a feeling, and it's usually not a one-time thing, and that it it's actually ends up being a practice. And we'll get into our definition of forgiveness here in a little bit, but the reality is a lot of us look at forgiveness as a spectrum, right? Like in in some ways, there's the the, the huge traumatic part uh, of things that have happened to us in our lives, that when we think about forgiveness there, um, and that's like one end of the spectrum, and then there's all the way to kind of the day-to-day -day little mundane small things that happen to us. And I think that uh, we need to approach forgiveness as a practice, right? Not a season thing where, man, there was this bad event in my life, and I really had to learn forgiveness there, and I shared a story with you last week about that in my life, but really, Day-to-day -day stuff. I mean, just uh, driving on the road, being in the grocery store, you know, those kinds of things. Interaction with family, frustrating teacher, frustrating neighbor. Those are the places that we practice forgiveness. And so we're going to jump into a few passages this morning to lead us uh, in the direction where we're going. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, we'll begin. It says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And, and here's, pause right there. This is a common rabbinic teaching about how many times you, you forgive a brother or sister. So how, how often you forgive a fellow Jew. And in the common rabbinic teaching is, up to seven times. And, and so uh, Jews of the day, Peter knows this. He's, he, I think he has a seek, sneaking suspicion that Jesus doesn't buy into that formula. And so he asks him, how many times do you think we're supposed to forgive? And then Jesus answered, verse 22, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Um, so in, in a sense, Jesus is saying there's no limit. He says the end goal ultimately is to grow you and I as followers, as disciples of Jesus, into the kind of people who are forgiving by nature. It's just part of who we are. It just comes out. And so Jesus tells a story, which is what good rabbi teachers do. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold 
was brought to him. So, I mean, this is classic, um, over, like, overemphasize the point uh, storytelling, right? And Jesus is like, it's just kind of laughable. It's a massive sum, and, and it's an amount no one could pay back, especially a servant, right? And so it says, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So the king's coming back for it. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. He said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back. And this is really the laughable part because there's just no way. There's the, the way, you know, that this could be told. There's just no way he could pay it back. And I think this is, in a sense, like a funny joke, kind of funny story. So it's like a minimum, minimum wage dude trying to pay back this unbelievable lottery sum of money. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his uh, fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. So it's just a friend, like they're on the same level. They are fellow servants. Uh, and, 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 he, and he owes him a um, hundred silver coins. So think like three months salary. Okay, so doable to pay back, but would still take some time. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. He says, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Verse 35. This is how my heavenly father will treat you, each of you, unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, last week we talked about that a bit too. It's this tricky thing that God really does actually want us to forgive. And somehow in the grand economics of God's love and his forgiveness, we have a part to play. And part of our part to play is our forgiveness of others. And so that curious phrase at the end there, from the heart, notice that this is um, something that, God, that Jesus says, that it's got to come from the heart. It's got to come from uh, a place of sincerity and depth. And in it, notice it's commanded by Jesus. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. And he's not asking you to do something that he has not already had to do. Check out Luke 23. Uh, this is the account of Jesus um, and the crucifixion. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the school that crucified him, there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Now, um, it's a tricky phrase um, where it's just, it, it, it's like the they's and the them's. And, and really, who is Jesus forgiving? Um, it says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It's, is he talking about the criminals or 
But what we find out is in the next sentence, and they divided up his clothes, casting lots. This idea that the actual people that Jesus is forgiving are the people that are actually executing him. And so this is the picture of, of Jesus's life. This is the picture of forgiveness that we get um, from ground level of Jesus. And the idea is if Jesus is willing to forgive the people who are executing him, how much more is he willing to forgive us? And, and we're commanded by Jesus to forgive because it is rooted actually in his day-to-day -day life. It's rooted in who he is and the kind of person he is. Um, and then we're going to jump ahead real quick to a letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus. Now, if you've spent any time reading this letter, it's a really, really great letter. It's six chapters long. Um, and the first three chapters are all about what God has done for us. And the last three chapters are all about what is our response in lieu of the fact that God has done all of this for us. And so this is chapter 4, verse 30, kind of jumping into chapter 5 a bit too. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. Now, what's interesting in this passage, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to believers in Ephesus. And there's a sense in which they are harboring things, that they have bitterness and, and malice, and, um, and they're angry, and there's rage inside of them. And it says brawling. It's like they're bar fight guys. And um, and it's, it's, it's wild because it's like Paul is saying, you, don't, you need to get rid of that stuff. You need to uproot that stuff. You need to pull that stuff out by the roots because that's what forgiveness is. That's what we're called to be. And so I would just, before we get into the rest of that passage, I just want to say maybe you're listening to this message, you're watching this, you're with your house church, whatever, but maybe you're stuck, you've been stuck spiritually in your life. You haven't been able to move forward because you are, if you're honest, you're raging inside. You're raging, you're bitter inside. And there's malice and bitterness in your life. There's unforgiveness in your life. And you haven't been able to take any more steps. It's like you're in a cul-de-sac when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to following Jesus. You are stuck. Maybe there's distance between you and God because of your distance between you and others. Maybe there's that's the case for you. And maybe when you and I harbor that, we actually, when we harbor bitterness and malice and anger and rage, we're actually cutting off, in a sense, our ability to hear from the Spirit. We actually grieve the Holy Spirit. We actually make the Holy Spirit sad and mournful that we are not able to connect. And so in verse 1 of chapter 5, it says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children... And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice 
to God. You see, you see how that works. He, Paul is saying, hey, this is how you walk in the way of love. And you walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So we actually walk in the same modeling of forgiveness that Jesus showed us. And that's what these stories are showing us. This is kind of a, a thread giving us a little bit more insight into forgiveness. Now, for some of you, you've heard this before. This is nothing new, but I can guarantee you that if you're anything like me, and I know I am, you have a difficult time forgiving people. You and I have a difficult time. Malice and bitterness and rage and frustration are, we carry it. It might be little things, but we carry it. We have a hard time forgiving. We, it's easier to just cut people off. It's easier to try to, because the, the feeling of bitterness and rage and anger and those kinds of things, um, those things are, are easier to uh, negotiate in our lives than actual forgiveness. Last week, we talked about a definition of forgiveness. We're going to throw this back on the screen. And then I'm going to add to it, which makes you probably feel a little uneasy, but I'm going to do it anyway. Here's the definition from last week. The personal act to release the one who sinned against me from my personal right to collect on the moral debt for their offense. Giving it over to God for his justice and mercy. But I'm going to add this piece today. Instead of giving them back the pain they gave me, I absorb the pain into myself with God's help. That one doesn't sound very fun. I'm going to read it again. Instead of giving them back the pain they gave me, I absorb the pain into myself with God's help. So this, this idea of forgiveness is on a couple different levels. On the first level, this idea of releasing someone from the debt that they owe you. Okay, um, they harmed you. They took this from you in that um, whatever, um, and, and and releasing that debt, releasing that personal right to have them pay that moral debt back. So the idea here is kind of more past. But how do we move on? A lot of times uh, we we can't move on. We can't let go. And so this second level, really, of forgiveness has to do with releasing yourself. And it has to do with the present and the future. It has to do with our lives and the moment and as we walk ahead. And so the reality is, you and I, we all experience wounding. We all experience, we, we have to deal with the hurt that's in our lives. And we all have hurt and wounding, and things that have happened to us um, that are painful and that we have to forgive. Um, for instance, this is why we do work when it comes to our family of origin, okay? So for those of you who have little children right now, you arrive uh, as a married couple with little children, um, and you've come from a family of origin, meaning you've come from wounding and, and not... Not, not everybody has significant wounding. I'm just saying that, that the, the reality is, as parents, uh, Angela and I have wounded our kids in some way. We've, we have not been perfect. 
Uh, we've tried to clean up our messes with them and ask forgiveness and things like that, but they carry with them a little bit of us uh, as they go. Um, the reality is you do too. And so this is why it's so important to look back in order to move ahead because what we don't, what we don't transform, okay, as far as the, the, the hurt that's happened to us, we actually transmit it to our, to our worlds. And so as parents, that means for your kids. And, and for all of us, we transmit all the wounding that's happened to us. We can't help it. And, and so what we're talking about here is that forgiveness is ultimately um, this idea of absorbing the pain that has happened to us so that we don't pass it on. So you've heard the, the phrase, and I've actually said it before in my life too, that hurt people hurt people. Meaning if you're a hurt person, if you've been hurt and wounded by people, there's a tendency you can hurt others. I mean, there's data on this. There's stuff about childhood abuse and, and, and things like that, that that comes out. But the, the reality is, but hurt people don't have to hurt people. Not everybody who was abused as a child is going to abuse somebody else. And so what has happened, what, whether it's a minor or a major hurt, what happens is, is we internalize it, okay? And sometimes we pass it on, but, but we don't have to. And so what, what this is, is looking at the life of Jesus and going, okay, how did Jesus how did Jesus absorb the pain that happened to him and not pass it on to others? Uh, Leo Tolstoy, the famous Russian author, called it breaking the chain of evil. And Leo Tolstoy was talking about, you know, uh, human rights and communism and, and workers and, and things like that. MLK picked up, Martin Luther King picked up on Leo Tolstoy's writings, and it influenced a lot of his nonviolence in his approach to what he was saying. And so whether it's, um, you know, communism and, and workers' rights or racism and racial injustice, the idea behind this is that um, all of humanity, okay, whether, you know, co-workers, you know, in, in, a, in a spat or nations fighting against each other, all of humanity is locked in a vicious tit-for-tat way of going through life. And we see this right now in our politics, in our country. You tweet me, I tweet against you. You say this about me, I write a book about you. You know? You, you do this politically, I do this politically in response. And all of our political parties, both of them, okay, do this and do this at a high level. Um, uh, churches do this. People do this. Um, this idea of paying it back over and over and over. And there's only one way to, to break this. Uh, the break the, the, the cycle, the chain of evil in the eyes of Leo Tolstoy. There's only one way to break it, and that is to absorb it, and that is to stop it in its tracks. 
And this idea of releasing someone from their debt is a, is a, is a profound step. It's a huge step. And we talked last week about this idea of forgiveness being a lifetime thing, that there are still times that I have to re-forgive because an event comes up in my life. And remember, we talked about the idea of God will remember our sins no more. It's not that God forgets. It's that God does not bring to mind um, something that will change his attitude and his actions. And so the idea for us is also not to bring to mind things over and over and over again, keep reliving and rehashing them in our heads. But the idea is that we probably consistently have to absorb the pain of the things that happen to us. And absorbing that ugly thing into yourself and transforming it into something beautiful for the world is what we're talking about. Because as followers of Jesus, we actually have a model. And that is Jesus. That is the God of the universe come down into humanity to live our life, to feel our pain, to experience uh, the wounding of humanity and ultimately to take it in himself on the cross. And we're called to be like Jesus. That's what we're called to be. Ronald Rollheiser, I think, puts it really well. He says, any pain or tension we do not transform, we will transmit. In the face of jealousy, anger, bitterness, and hatred, we are, like to, we are to be like water purifiers, holding the toxins inside of us and giving back only pure water. Now, I love that image of a water purifier. I don't know if you have a purifier in your, uh, you know, one of those jugs that you pour the the nasty like city water in and then it changes it comes through uh to pure water we're think of the image of that we're we're meant to filter the bad stuff that happens to us and release good stuff um, instead of being an electrical cord where we just let stuff pass through us to somebody else that's what we're talking about here that is the life of jesus the whole low road angle, which is the payback in kind, tit for tat, one up, bigger club, the whole thing, versus the high road, which is to release the debt that is owed to us and my right to pursue that debt and find a way to transform it. What's interesting, church, is um, we're, not gonna, we're not gonna finish this sermon with some practical do this, do that, fill in the blank stuff. I'm actually leaving us with a little bit of tension today because I feel like there's a chance that um, the Spirit will say things to you that are way better than I can say to you. And so we've actually uh, identified a little bit of a practice. We've put it on the house church guide. We're going to try to put it up on our practice page. But the idea here is that this is an ongoing thing, this idea of forgiveness. And I, and I haven't been able to get this idea out of my head. I'm going to share it with you. I haven't totally done all the exegesis work and the study on it, but I'm just going to throw it out to you, okay? The whole idea of taking up our cross and following Jesus. You know, it's a, a familiar mantra in Christian circles. Take up your cross. Um, we talk about this. Uh, Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. 
But what if taking up our cross and following Jesus has a lot to do with forgiveness? What if taking up our cross and following Jesus actually means that we absorb the pain of this world like Jesus did? You know, this is a hard thing to do. And um, I feel like for me, the older I get, the harder this is to do. I can see how easily it could be for me to be grumpy old man guy, the get off my lawn guy. That my anger and bitterness and my rage and the hurt that has happened to me actually creates in me like a thickness and a hard shell that is difficult for me to be around people. I can see that. And I don't want that. And I think that the older we get, the harder it is to forgive. And that's why I think it's so important that we practice this. And I think that's why we need the Holy Spirit. And I think that's why we need the Holy Spirit in each other, okay, to help us walk through this together. Now, I shared with you that quote from Ronald Rollheiser. It comes from his book, Sacred Fire. It's one of my favorite books. I reread it and I reread chunks and, and pieces. Um, and he basically has a whole section on forgiveness. And he says that basically, you know, first half of life, second half of life, first half of life, we spend our lives trying to get our lives together. You know, career, kids, house, things. But our second half of life, is it's all about giving our lives away. And when he talks about the first half of life, he said the primary temptation in your first half of life is lust. And that the primary temptation in the second half of life is anger. And he writes this uh, from his book, Sacred Fire. He says, as we age, we begin to trim down our spiritual vocabulary. And eventually we can get it down to just three words. Forgive, forgive, forgive. The major task psychologically and spiritually for the second half of our lives is to forgive. We need to forgive those who have hurt us, forgive ourselves for our own failings, forgive life for not being fully fair, and forgive God for seemingly being so indifferent to our wounds. We need to do that before we die because ultimately there is only one moral imperative. Not to die an angry, bitter person, but to die with a warm heart. Now, a lot of times sermons are about how. Um, and a lot of times sermons are, hey, I figured this out. You know, you go ahead and figure it out now too. Uh, which hopefully you don't feel for me. That's just not my life. But, but what if, what if, uh, what if the pondering of peace of this, what does it look like as the Spirit picks up this idea in our lives? Maybe taking up our cross and following Jesus does actually mean absorbing pain. Absorbing the pain that has happened to us. And finding a way to transform it, not transmit it. So this morning, I would encourage you in your house church to talk about this idea. And as an individual, I would encourage you to take the practice with you this week and set aside some time 
and grab a journal, grab some quiet space, um, hopefully indoors, and to work through this, this practice of forgiveness. Because this world needs emotionally healthy, whole followers of Jesus. Let me pray. God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for our time. Thank you for a wonderful church community who is so believing the best about each other and about our way forward and about our life on this earth together following you. Will you give us the tools to encourage each other? Will you give us the space to hear from you? We pray these things. Amen.